Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the shame that often accompanies compromise. Pharaoh asked him, What is this you have done to me? The implication is obvious. What he did was wrong by not telling, listen, the truth. The pagan Pharaoh rebuked the man of God, Abraham, the father of faith. The man of God has marred his godly witness. Pharaoh showed more integrity at this point than the man of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Scripture tells us that Elisha the prophet prayed that the Lord open the eyes of his servant so that he too could see the mighty armies of God. Faith can open up a whole new world, but Pastor Xavier says misplaced faith can get us into a whole lot of trouble as well. How can we know the difference? Let's go to the book of Genesis for the answer. Genesis chapter 12, and the message entitled, Faith or Foolishness? We come to the person of Abraham, and he has a great lapse of faith here. He decided to resort to himself, and that's where he failed. There was a famine in the land. Abraham went down to Egypt, and in verse 10, to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And Egypt is always a type of the world in Scripture. As they were getting close to entering Egypt, it's when he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a beautiful woman of countenance. In verse 12, Abram's personal interest is the plan, or in the plan, is not hidden. Notice that. He says he feared the Egyptians, seeing how beautiful Sarah was, uh, that they would kill him. And he said that the Egyptians would let her live, implying she would be taken into his harem. He understands this. You know, they're going to take her into the harem. Ladies, how would you feel about your husband about this time? Verse 13, Abram presents the plan by a lie. Please say you're my sister. (laughs) Do you think she was a little hesitant? She could possibly be defiled sexually. Abram was not thinking of Sarai nor depending on God, but his own reasoning, his own skin. Verse 14, the Egyptians took note of Sarai, that she was very beautiful, certainly due to her outward beauty or appearance, but also her lighter complexion probably. And the plan seems to have been working. Abram probably is just walking through, oh, everything's going good, this and that. They accept it. We got through the gate and the sentinels, and here we are. But all of a sudden, all eyes are turning on them. And, and, and perhaps he's feeling a little bit uncomfortable at this point. It seems like it was all working out. Verse 15, the princes of Pharaoh also saw Sarai and commanded her to the Pharaoh. And the word commanded means to praise, but in the context it means to boast or to rage about her. Pharaoh, you should see this chick that walked in through the gate over here. Man, even the camels turned and looked. (laughs) The men of Pharaoh took Sarai to Pharaoh's house. The man Abram in verse 16, meanwhile, is being treated like a king. (laughs) He was given many gifts. They're given to us there, the livestock, sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female donkeys, and camels. Human servants, male and female servants. The amount of gifts is evident that Pharaoh was treating Abram as nobility. The gifts were intended as a dowry 
for Sarai. Pharaoh's up to something. Abram knows. The game is understood. Now everything seems to be working out, perhaps better than Abram had expected. But God was not behind the plan. Remember that. So the Lord intervenes to protect Sarai. Yahweh plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, verse 17 tells us. The plagues would be significant enough that Pharaoh would understand the connection between Sarai and the arrangement. We're not given details, but it's very evident he understands it to be related. Notice secondly then, the problem of being a bad witness of God comes in verse 18 through 20. In verse 18, the pagan Pharaoh rebuked the man of God by confronting him about not telling the truth. Whoa, what a sad day. Pharaoh summons Abraham. The atmosphere was not one of celebration, but stern confrontation. Without any doubt, Abraham was more fearful than before he entered Egypt because now he's been busted. Every person knows how it feels to be caught in a lie. Anybody here never been caught in a lie? Raise your hand so I can call you a liar. <laughs> Abram is probably very hesitant to go before Pharaoh, but he has no choice. Now, Pharaoh asks him two questions at first. The first question in verse 18, what is this you have done to me? The implication is obvious. What he did was wrong by not telling, listen, the truth. So he first deals with the positive side, the truth that he should have told. The ramification of such a lie could have been tragic and irreversible. These words were uttered to Eve, you remember, by God. What is it that you have done in Genesis 3.13? The exact words were uttered to Cain. What is it that you have done? 410. Here we hear him again, now from a pagan. The second question was, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? The confronting attitude of Pharaoh is without any doubt in great anger. Have you ever been lied to? When the person confronts you, they say, now, I don't know why you did that, but tell me why. No, their veins are popping out in their neck and their head, and they say, why did you lie? Because it's an insult. It's a betrayal. It angers us. Look at verse 19. The pagan Pharaoh rebuked the man of God, now by confronting him, about telling the lie, the negative side. Pharaoh asked him, why did you say she is my sister? It was a complete and deliberate lie from Pharaoh's point of view. It was a half-truth from Abram's point of view, since she was a half-sister, being daughter of his father, but not his mother. Be careful of clever thinking. It creates great problems. Pharaoh spells out what could have occurred, putting him at risk, and took steps to correct the situation. Now, Pharaoh says... I might have taken her as my wife. Pharaoh showed more integrity at this point than the man of God. From this perspective, not that he's upright, and we'll see that, but at this point, he declares that 
And of course, he's got the heat on. God's got him, right? <laughs> Abram is exposed for his lack of protection of his wife through the whole thing. The silence of Abraham exposes his evident guilt and lack of defense before God, Pharaoh, and himself. Silence. He says nothing. What else can you say? James chapter 1, verse 12 through 14 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot tempt by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. We are the people who take full responsibility for that. We don't blame God for it. It's inconsistent with his nature. But it is very consistent with mine. Compromise. Pharaoh says, now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. Leaving Abraham to ponder his ungodly conduct. He's busted. The pagan is the one who saw separation from the man of God. That is a slap in the face. He should have never gone to Egypt. He was to be separate. Now the pagan wants to separate himself from the Christian. The man of God has marred his godly witness. Who is he? Abraham, the father of faith. Now look at verse 20. The pagan Pharaoh rebuked the man of God by exposing Abram. Man, things are going from bad to worse. Pharaoh sounded out the decree against Abram in verse 20. Pharaoh commanded his men concerning Abram about the truth. They all were informed as to the specifics of the lie about his wife without any doubt. As Abraham is walking through the corridors and, and even perhaps out as he goes out through the streets of the city, he can sense the eyes. You know, we've all been in that place where people are looking at you and all that. A little uncomfortable. Abram's sin was public. And without any doubt, understood to be the reason for the plagues that Yahweh had struck the house of Pharaoh. So when these people are looking, they're not looking with a smile on their face. For this foreigner came in, and plagues have hit the city, and he's the culprit. Now you understand vengeance and mob mentality in the world we live in. Especially if you're a foreigner. Especially if you're in a pagan land. All of these things that have taken place here are foreshadow of the future plagues that Yahweh would bring upon Egypt through the life of Moses, which would be a judgment on the gods of Egypt. But at this time, God was not in sending his man to Egypt. He will be in the future to send Israel into Egypt, but not at this point. The men of Pharaoh, notice, sent Abram away with his wife and all that he had they did not want to be in fellowship with him. That is a sad day when non-believers don't want to hang out with carnal Christians. Abram did not walk out of Egypt with his head high. Abram was humble before the pagans. Notice they wanted to be blameless and send his wife with him. Now, they understood that the God of Abram 
was very powerful. They feared the God of Abram, not Abram. They were smart enough to know the connection. So the reason for them wanting to leave is not pure completely. They're just not foolish. So we're not saying that they were upright in holiness or that, but, but, but they know that two and two is four. They're smart enough. Though Abram had lied, notice that they did not take from him the gifts that had given to him. Now, what would you have done? I said, give me that silver. Give me that gold. They didn't. Though Abram had lied, Pharaoh knew he himself was not innocent in intent towards Abram and Sarai. And he knew it wasn't Abram that did what happened. It was God, a higher power. He didn't want to mess with it. He didn't want a chance on getting more plagues from Yahweh. The credibility of Abram was lost. Sarai's safety was completely the work of God, not Abram. Proverbs 28, 26 says, He that trusts in his own heart is a fool. A fool. Christians have at times thought that they were able to get away with their sin, but it found them out. Some have thought that they could flirt with alcohol, drugs, and still maintain a witness. But sooner or later, destroyed their witness and sometimes their own life. Still others flirt with their emotions with another man or another woman while being married to where progressively, step by step, it ends up in adultery. We see this more than ever in the church. It's horrible. Something's definitely wrong. Numbers 32, 23 says, your sin will find you out sooner or later. Now, the context of that verse is when they had made a covenant with the children of Israel to go in and help them conquer the land, and then they could come back and dwell on the other side of Jordan. And if they didn't keep their promise and their word, then God would get them. That's the context of the promise. Well, it's the same thing in principle. If we say we're walking with God, we're not. Our sin will find us out. If we say that we love the Lord and we really love the world more, then our sin will find us out. We have to be careful. The Christian who thinks they can get away with sin and play both sides of the fence is self-deceived. Those who look up to them are the first to be grieved regarding the devastation to their relationship with God. So when I see someone fall who's been a Christian for so long, my first reaction is, is a grieving of heart for them that they have let go of this relationship with the God of the creation, the Savior of the world, for crumbs of bread. And it grieves me. Then I think of their family, how they've destroyed them, and then the people that are stumbled. The unbelievers who knew the person to be a Christian will take advantage and mock the fact that they used to preach against whatever they got caught in. in. The ultimate end is that the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemed by the conduct of the compromising believer. You remember when Nathan went to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and tried to cover up with um, bringing Uriah home, then he sent him out and murdered him under orders. Nathan confronted him and said, you're the man, David. 
And hear the words of Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 14. He says, however, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemy of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. David, you, by your deeds and by your actions, you have caused the enemies of God to blaspheme God. What an awesome responsibility we have. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 puts it this way. Beloved, I beg you as a sojourner and pilgrim, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your own good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So in other words, not only to those around you, but even to each other, you make sure you're honorable, and whatever people say about you, hopefully it's false. And the way you prove them wrong is to live in such a way to prove them wrong. That's your responsibility and mine. The problem of being a bad witness of God is failure on our part. Not God's. Now notice lastly, and this is very important, and your Bible divides the chapter, but it's continuous. I think this would be a better division. Without this, the section doesn't make sense. Notice thirdly, the personal need of getting right with God. Verse 1 and 2, the departure of Abram from Egypt is the first step. Here's the first step. You depart from Egypt. The departure from Egypt was not an honor, but disgrace. Abram went up from Egypt with his wife. The journey must have been real quiet. Been there? 40 miles. Tense. They each must have blamed each other. Abram took all that he had acquired in livestock and slaves. But at this point in time, listen, the wealth means nothing. When you're not right with each other, it's because you're not right with God. And when you're not right with God and with each other, all your material things mean absolutely nothing. Nothing. Interesting, the lot is said to have gone with him now. He's completely kept out of the narrative. He's been the silent and unnoticed observer to all of this. You would think that he would learn not to be carnal. But as we move on in the narrative of Genesis, we're going to find out that he didn't learn at all. And there are people in the church that do not learn from the carnality and mistakes of others, and they not only do the same, but worse. Be careful. They headed south. Verse 2, the departure from Egypt was in prosperity. Abraham was very rich, but he was poor spiritually in relationship to God at this point. The particular items are given in livestock, silver, and gold. This is the first time wealth is mentioned. And by the way, wealth becomes a problem. When you get down to verse 7, Lot and Abram are going to fight because they're too rich. Very difficult money. It causes more problems than solutions. Trust me. Look up the people that win the lotto. Look at the people that live for money. Verse 3 and 4, the return of Abram to the place of his beginning is the second step. Listen, first step, get out of Egypt. Second step, go back to your beginnings. Verse 3, Abram returned to his first love at Bethel. Bethel means house of God, as you know. This was a true place of blessing, not Egypt. He came to Bethel in chapter 12, verse 8. Here he's back again. The place where God told him to be in. 
This was the place where his tent had been at the beginning when he stepped out in faith from Haram in full obedience to God. The place between Bethel and Ai where Abram could see all the land of God that he had given to him in promise. That's where he used to be. And so Abram repented of his sin at Bethel. Look at verse 4. He came to the place of the altar, which he had made at first. He restored fellowship and worshiped Yahweh as he called on the name of the Lord. The altar's mentioned again. To the church of Ephesus, the Holy Spirit said, I have one thing against you, Jesus speaking. You have left your first love. And the counsel is, return, repent, and repeat your first works. That's it. Get out of Egypt. Return, repent, repeat your first works. I know several couples that I can think of in my mind through the years and many more, some non-believing, some believing, and later on they came to know the Lord, that they, they messed up their life. And some have been even 10 years divorced, and the Lord, by His grace, brought them back as they both repented and they both acknowledged God was the way and God joined them back and they're better now than ever. I know another couple, 20 years. Then they got saved. God brought them back. It's really up to us what we want out of our marriages. Do we want God in our marriages? We'll get the best. You want to keep God out of your marriage? Man, you've got crumbs. Repentance is the way we are saved, as you know. Making a decision to turn from our sin by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is a response to the hearing of the gospel that God has made his son sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The Holy Spirit turns the light on. Repentance is the way we stay in fellowship with God after we're born again. We all fail daily, so we need to cleanse ourselves. Symbolic, Jesus told Peter in John 13.10, you're all clean, but you need to just wash your feet Nip to a small part because we walk in this world, we fail. So we confess our sins. We get right with God to stay in fellowship. First John 2 1, we have the lawyer for the defense. We do not practice sin, don't make a practice, but when you stumble and fall, you have Jesus Christ, the righteous, to make intercession for you, the advocate, the lawyer. But we, we don't abuse, so we don't practice sin. When we stumble, we come to Him, but He only takes guilty pleads. He doesn't bargain with sin, He takes no innocent pleads. I am guilty. I need to confess my sin, repent for my sin, abandon my sin, and walk in the Spirit. Repentance is personal awareness of the holiness of God. He is of pure eyes and to behold any evil with any sense of condolence or permission, Habakkuk 1.13 says. Isaiah 59.1 says, God's hand is not short that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins are separate between you and God. Psalm 66.18 says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, God will not hear you. 1 John 2.1 says, my little children, I write these things unto you that you do not practice sin when you stumble, when you eat it big time. You have Jesus Christ, the Lord, for the defense. You confess. That's a choice, people. You have to make it. I have to make it. No one can make it for me. And so the personal need of getting right with God is imperative through repentance. This has to happen. If Abraham's going to walk with God, he's got to get right. And so this is Abraham as he lapsed in faith. The perils of the plans that are not of God can be costly. 
The problem of being a bad witness of God is failure on our part, not God's. And the personal need of getting right with God is imperative through repentance. No other way. Great first lesson as he has stepped out into the promised land. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of honoring the name of the Lord in all things. Now you can get your own copy of today's message for further review. It's titled Faith or Foolishness. It's available on CD for only $4. Now this also includes the message Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is Faith or Foolishness. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, be sure and mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Well, be sure you tune in next time for more in-depth Bible study from our teacher, Pastor Xavier Reese. That's right here on Simple Truths. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 